It's great to see you out this morning. It's, um, it's good to be together. It's good to worship. Um, it's great to see so many um, new faces as well. Uh, as Bruno said at the start, please do um, make yourself welcome to us or introduce yourself to us and we'll try to make you welcome <laughs> um, and uh, hopefully get to know you a little bit more. Um, it's just great to be able to worship the, the Lord together and sense his presence um, and to have um, loads of people around and <clears throat> loads of people coming in, as Bruno said, to our church from different nations. And I think we've got some guests here from the States as well this morning, which is great to have you guys. And uh, people from all different types of um, nations coming to our country, uh, sometimes by choice, sometimes not necessarily by choice, but it's important for us to reach uh, out and to open our hearts up with the love of Jesus. Um, we want to um, continue our series this morning. Um, if you're joining us just today, or um, if you're only here for today, just a brief recap of where we're at. Um, we're on a series called Presence People, and uh, <clears throat> we're focusing high on this new exciting chapter of our journey as a church family, um, closing in on our sixth birthday here on a few, in a few weeks' times. Um, how we want to continue to be a people who pursue the presence of God. That's a principle of our church from the very beginning. Not just um, maybe pilgrimaging from um, uh, building to building, as, as we have done for those six years, but pilgrims of the heart, people who go deeper into his presence, marked, people who have been marked, brandished by the fire of God and by his presence, people who keep saying yes to Jesus in full surrender to the Holy Spirit. And in particular, we've had this really strong sense that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to us about um, how he wants to show us another glimpse more of the face of Jesus, um, to reveal more of who Jesus is to us, um, to, to know him, uh, to really, really know him, to know him deep down in our bones, in our spirits, in our souls. God uh, desires to know us intimately and to enjoy the promise of his new covenant, because the sacrifice of Jesus is a perfect sacrifice, it enters us into this relationship with Jesus, we're told in the Bible, that he invites us into an ongoing unveiling of his glory. Because of Jesus, we can come into the presence of God with a unveiled faces and uh, meditate, contemplate, behold the glory of Jesus. And as we see Jesus we are changed into Jesus' likeness. It's really, really astounding, powerful. Never get tired hearing that thought. And that's the destiny of each one of our lives. And we have also been discovering in the biblical story, like right back, even way before Jesus, the ancient Israelites, they understood God's intimacy and God's presence through how he, through the, the idea of his face, how um even the very word for presence in the New Testament, or sorry, in the Old Testament, was the word for face. I think that's on the screens, maybe. Just the, the Greek word panim, and how <clears throat> face and presence are the same word, which will be important as we go through this morning, just to remember. The face is such a personal thing, isn't it? And it's always been God's desire for us to look upon the light of his face. And so the sort of key text that we've been looking at, at this, from the start I think it's on the screen, um, Revelation chapter 22. Um, and this is what it says. Johnny, is there any chance you could turn? See those lights up there? Just down a wee touch. Can't really see anybody. Oh, there you all are. <clears throat> Beautiful people. Thank you. 
this is, this is what it says in Revelation chapter 22. Dallas Willard's paraphrase. And they shall live with his face in view. And that they belong to him will show upon their faces. Darkness will no longer be. They will have no need for lamps or sunlight because God the Lord will be radiant in their midst and they will reign throughout the ages. Not need any lights in heaven because the light of God's own face in the person of Jesus will shine upon us, illuminate everything there is. You don't have to go and you don't have to worry about the electric in heaven, right? Because the light of his face shines upon us. And there is a sense in which, as in all things in the kingdom, God, through Jesus, has brought the future into the present. So we can now already look into the face of Jesus with the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, the world that we live in that's tarred and marred and broken and corrupted by sin distorts all of that. So it's a sense in which we only see in part, but we can't see it and we can't see more of it day by day, as we walk in relationship with Jesus. And I just want to acknowledge this by saying, I feel like God has really been imprinting over the last few weeks a fresh glimpse of who he is in many of your hearts. And I don't think he's done yet. He, he wants by the Spirit to reveal more of who he is. This quote from A.W. Tozer on the screen, you've heard me probably quote it many times, but it's so, so fundamental. What comes into your mind when you hear or think about God is the most important thing about you. If what comes into your mind is a cross, stern, cosmic kind of killjoy in heaven, well, like you're not really necessarily going to get up in the morning and like look forward to spending time with that kind of God. But if God is who he revealed himself to be in Jesus as a loving father, then something changes, something shifts, something shifts in our very fundamental desires. And I really believe that in this series, God is stripping away perceptions, false perceptions, distortions of what has come into our mind when we've heard the word God in the past to imprint something fresh upon us, the love of a father who desires us, a God who burns with jealous love for your soul more than any other love that you have. And God wants you to know that. And God wants you to lock eyes with him at some point over this next number of weeks, if he hasn't already, and look into your soul and let you know that no one will ever love you like God has loved you, will love you. He loved you first and he will love you last. And he loved you the whole way through your being. And it would be a shame to go through your whole life and not have an encounter and an experience, not just to know that in your head, but to know that deep in here, that deep inside you, that you're loved by the maker of the universe. God wants you to know that this morning. God wants to minister to you this morning, even as I preach on through this this morning. God wants to speak by the power of his spirit. We're not here just to sing a few tunes, have a nice wee talk, and go home. We're here to encounter the living God who wants to encounter us, because that's what he's always wanted. And, uh, and so allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you through this. I got a sense when I was preparing, this is quite a funny analogy, but I got, I got a sense that many of us came to church and many of our Christians' lives, it's a little bit like spiritual Botox, that when we come to look at Jesus, we think we have to like pump ourselves with a bit of like stuff to make him look, to make ourselves look half presentable so that he might like us. And this is, this is the corniest kind of 
kind of thing. But I just felt that God wanted you to know this morning that he really loves the wrinkles on your face. He, he really loves all the bits and pieces that you try to cover up, but you don't think are that presentable. And in the light of his face this morning, he wants you to look into his, and in looking into his face, he wants you to experience unconditional love. Because unconditional love is the thing that unlocks your desire to want to know him. Then everything changes. When you realize that nothing you can do can make you love him anymore, him love you anymore, and nothing you can do can make him love you any less. And this is who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. And he wants you to know that. To come into the knowledge of his unconditional love. To come into the knowing of it. And uh, the way he does that is through the person of his Holy Spirit. God's personal presence. Third person of the Trinity who comes to inhabit our lives. God's presence bringing us the love of the Father and the Son. Manifesting that in our lives. And that's what Debbie and Bruna have done such a great job reminding us of over the last few weeks. And so I, I want to pray that God will continue just to move through us as we, as we move on. Sorry, as we move on in this series, I believe God really wants to continue to, to minister that into some hearts this morning and throughout the next number of weeks. But I also kind of want to pivot slightly today to talk about what it actually means then to become not just individuals who carry the presence of God, presence people as individuals, but what does it look like to do that as a community? What does it look like to do that as a, as a church? So um, that's the key question for this morning. I think it's on the screen. What does it look like to be a church community or a family that continually hosts the presence of God? Now, this is a subject, not to kind of build this up too much, but this, these, the, talking about this over the next 25 minutes, half an hour, is, is kind of like my, my life message, right? This is what I burn for more than anything else. So I might get excited from time to time, if that's all right. Um, but um, it's, it's also kind of sober because it, feel, it feels so, it feels this is what I'm born to be a part of, um, an authentic community of people who radically love Jesus, who passionately seek his face in order to steward a community, a space with a tangible, the tangible sense of the presence of God can be experienced and encountered by those who come into its orbit. Um, that, that's it. That's what I really want to give my life for. I think this is what we see in the book of Acts. And by the way, I think I speak on behalf of our leadership team and our eldership when I, when I say that. This is, and many of you, this, this is what we're living for. So, so let me try and explain this. And obviously, we'll look a little bit more next week into the book of Acts and how they and the early church seemed to steward that kind of a church community. It wasn't just a bunch of random individuals who loved Jesus. It was a community, a church family together in local spaces who stewarded these kind of communities. Um, but in church history, I'm really captivated by a group of people called the Moravians. Um, if, if you don't know anything about them, don't worry. But just the headlines are that they were a bunch of peasants who had come from the sort of Bavaria re region, moved up into sort of southeastern Germany. And um, uh, they are known because they helped initiate a 100-year prayer time, 100 years prayer meeting, um, for 24-7. 20, 
and the Spirit fell upon them. Believe it or not, uh, before they started this time of prayer, the Spirit fell on the 13th of August, which just happens to be my birthday. So stick it all into your calendars right now. <laughs> the Moravian thing, not my birthday, all right? Um, but they launched, and from this, over 100 years, they launched what's known as the 100-year um, prayer time. This is a cheesy little picture of me on my 40th birthday, rock and roll. I went to Moravia, right? And uh, sat in the little church that uh, in 1727, I think it is, on the 13th of August, the Holy Spirit fell upon men and women and boys and girls, and they began to pray. And that prayer meeting lasted for 100 years. And they established this community, which you can kind of see in this other picture. And it's still called Hernot, which in German is the Lord's Watch. And um, they did all sorts of things. Now, there was a guy, I think it's on the next screen, a guy called, on the next slide, yeah, very rock and roll kind of looking guy, yeah, as they all tended to be in those days. This is Count Nicholas Ludwig Zinzendorf, which is just a great name in itself, isn't it? Um, and he uh, was a young aristocrat who had a really spiritual, godly grandmother. And um, he decided, he, he, he was really moved by the Lord as, as, he, as a teenager, prayed with his teenage friends, started an order called the Order of the Mustard Seed. And um, he uh, decided that he would, uh, bought, he bought an estate off his grandmother, and he decided that he would open up this estate to these poor um, pilgrims, peasants called the Moravians. And he brought them onto his land, and um, he opened up his heart to them, and they'd led Many of them were already Christians, but there was kind of like different disagreements between them. There was theologically, and they, they came together. And in this little church hall that I was sitting in, um, all those years ago, they had communion together, and the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And God, God really, really moved mightily upon them. And they began to pray. 24 men, 24 women started to pray night and day, and they just couldn't stop. And then became what was really known as the initiation of the modern kind of mission movement that we know of today. So when we talk about missions today and we see all the global missions that happen, that didn't happen really that much at all until about the 1700s. And they are seen as the, the kind of initiators of that. Um, John Wesley said of them, John Wesley, who was the founder of Methodism, he said, oh, that this kind of Christianity could spread across the world. Um, William Carey, some of you will have heard of William Carey. He was the, he was known, he's known as the father of the modern-day mission movement, but it was the Moravians who inspired William Carey. And he walked into the Baptist Society back in those days, and he threw on the table the pamphlets of the Moravian missionaries, and he said, why can't we influence the world like the Moravians? John Wesley, as I've mentioned, who founded Methodism, he was on a trip on a boat. He was a believer type, no real experience of the Lord, but theologically was all there. But he witnessed the Moravians as they went on the boats to the new world of America. And he was really taken by the peace that they carried, even when it looked like they were all going to die and drown. And he was moved by their spirituality, moved by the peace that these guys carried. And so he gave his life kind of to the Lord more fully and more surrendered. And when he came back from America, he went to a prayer meeting um, in Fetter Lane in London, and it was that night, in the middle of the night, some of you will know that story, that the Holy Spirit fell in that room, and John Wesley said his heart was strangely warmed. George Whitfield, who became one of the main evangelists in the Great Awakening in America, was also in that prayer meeting, got filled with the Holy Spirit, 
and was never the same again, became so influential. Two of the young Moravian missionaries went to the, one of the Caribbean islands. The Caribbean islands were full of slaves and slavery. The two young Moravians sold themselves in the slavery in order that they could reach the slaves. And so William Wilberforce, who was the great abolitionist in the UK who helped put an end to slavery, when they asked him for examples of what society could look like without slaves, he was able to point to this Caribbean island where two young modern, sorry, two young Moravian missionaries had gone and sold themselves into slavery in order to reach that island, completely transformed the island. So many more stories I could tell. But this community of Moravians in the 1700s, which I know feels like ancient history, but it's actually only a number of generations away. It's not that long ago. They literally changed the world and impacted the nations, all from a community. And try, and, try and get this. I could tell you much more stories, but just think of the impact of William Carey, John Wesley, the impact on slavery, the, the, mission, the missionaries that they sent out all over the world, all from a community of about three or 500 people. How many people have we got here? We've got 400 new chairs ordered for the next couple of weeks. What kind of community do we want to be? Do we want to like have grow and grow and grow and have like 14 services on the Sunday? Please no, Lord, right? <laughs> um, it'll, be, it'll be fine if it's lots of lost people coming to Jesus and all of that. But what do we want? We want, it's not about the quantity of the people, although we want to grow. We want to see those 400 churches, churches filled and more. And all of that, we want all those good problems to come with that. But it's not about the quantity of the people. It's about the quality of the spirituality. These Moravians were burning, burning with love for Jesus. It seems so impossible, doesn't it? Imagine praying for 100 years. They never thought they were going to pray for 100 years. They just started praying for, 100 for, one, for one day and then one month. And it seems so, so impossible but we're actually part of the broader 24-7 prayer movement, which has actually been praying, started the prayer for one month, and we haven't stopped for 25 years. All of a sudden, it doesn't seem that big a deal to potentially replicate that and maybe more and leave something for our children that is a movement of nonstop, night and day, interdenominational global prayer across the nations. We have to sometimes lift our imagination for what the Lord wants to do. And I just sense this morning that I am supposed to remind my own heart and our own church this morning that this is who we're called to be. We're not here to hoover up a bunch of other Christians to build this church. We're here to seek the Lord. We're here to host the presence of God. We're here to build a community with a tangible, manifest sense of the presence of God can be here in such a way that as people walk down that alleyway there, they come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and this place gets filled with the broken and the lost. And we send from this place people to the nations who will love Jesus and share his love with others. I believe the Holy Spirit wants us, yes, right here, in Portadown, where everybody says it's a difficult place, it couldn't happen here, all of that kind of thing. I believe that we are here to push against that narrative and to stoke a fire in this place where God's presence will burn in our hearts in a way that will change, wreck, dismantle our lives in all the best possible ways for the glory of God and for the extension of the kingdom. 
And so the next question is then, if this is what we're called to do, how do we be guardians of that flame? The question's on the screen. Yeah, how do we become guardians of the flame? Rabbi Jonathan Sachs says this quote should be on there as well. Religion is like fire. And like fire, it warms, but it also burns. And we are guardians of this flame. How do we be guardians of this flame? Good guardians, because we're living in a time... (laughs) We're living in a time where religion has burned people in all the worst possible ways that it does as well. And some of you have maybe felt the effects of that. And I'm sorry about that. Genuinely sorry about that. Equally, the answer is not to run away. The answer is to try and find the true fire of God that burns us, that burns up all the stuff in us that needs burned up in order that we can be warmed by his presence. And in order to do that and develop a vision for this, I want to go into the scriptures in the Old Testament, go to a well-known passage of scripture in Exodus chapter 33 to help us get the content and the essence of what I'm trying to like help us think about this morning about the type of community God is calling us to be as presence people. The context of the passage I'm going to read is Exodus chapter 33. Moses was a great leader in Israel. He has led the people through the Red Sea at this point. He has watched God provide manna for them in the wilderness He's been given the Ten Commandments, and God has made a covenant with him. He's been given instructions for the tabernacle. He's about to come back down the mountain, and he hears the sound of revelry down below. He wonders if it's a sound of war or whatever. And God says, no, they've actually, the people, after all God has done for them, have built this golden calf. They're worshiping a golden calf, and um, they've, they've rebelled against me. And God is brokenhearted about this. And he's not just brokenhearted, he's actually angry. And he's, he's kind of had enough. And he, he decides that he's not going to go with them. He, he can't go with them. It, 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 in fact, it sounds like he just wants to sort of hand them over and start again with Moses, with the new people. Moses questions the Lord in this. <laughs> he, and God, the Bible says, and all sorts of theological gymnastics are needed to kind of try and explain it. But uh, the, essence, the, the, the Bible actually says God relents or God goes, okay, then I'm not going to do that because of your prayer. And I'm going to let you go into the land of promise, which the land of Canaan, the land of milk and honey that you've promised, but I just can't go with you. Think of uh, any of you parents here just ever been at that point where you feel so like exasperated, like, hey, um, just tell your children to get on, just like, oh, off he's good. Just go and do it. Just go and do your thing there, right? It feels a wee bit like God's got to that point. Um, trying to speak as reverently as possible, that's what it feels like. Go on ahead, do your thing. But Moses isn't happy with this compromise. And so he goes into the tent of meeting, <laughs> and all the people are waiting to hear, see what's going to happen. And here's what it says. So if you can imagine, Moses, at this point in the story, he's gone into this tent, which sits at the side of the camp of all the other tents of the wilderness, and the people are waiting to see what's going to happen. And so Moses is in this little tent. Whenever the pillar... Sorry, whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. And the Lord would speak. Look, there's this again to Moses face to face. Not quite sure what that looked like, but this is the language that the Bible gives us as one speaks to a friend. And so Moses then appeals to God in this moment when he's speaking face to face with God after everything that's happened. This is what he, this is what he says. And um, if you don't mind, if you can, would you stand with me as I read this? Because I think this is just such a holy passage of Scripture. I'd love us just to honor the Word of God. And then you can uh, take your seats again. I'll just read this to you. 
Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I might know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What will distinguish me and your people from the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you've asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Okay, you can take your seats. Thank you. So imagine this scene. Imagine this scene. God is basically saying, I it's implying that God is saying, I can't, I can't cope with the rebellion, the stubbornness, the attitude of, of these Israelites. And, and so you can go into the land of promise, Moses. You've interceded for these people. That's fair enough. We'll not like finish off with them and just start again with you. They can go into that, but I, I just can't go with them. And Moses goes, uh, no deal, God. No deal. Uh, we're not moving from here. This is a kind of holy stubbornness <laughs> that God loves. Uh, the level of intimate dialogue that happens between two people who are bound covenantally. There's certain, there's certain levels of robust conversation you can have with your spouse that you can't really have necessarily with other people. Why? Because you stood and looked each other in, an eye, in the eye at one particular point and said vows to one another that said, till death to us part in sickness and in health. We're going to love one another and only love one another. We're going to commit to one another. We're going to be faithful to one another. That gives you permission not to be not nice to one another, not at all. But it gives you permission with one another to call one another back to the vows that you promised to one another. And this is that kind of level of depth of language that's going on here between Moses and God. And God... <laughs> God is moved by this. And Moses is saying, bear in mind the presence means face, remember? So God is, you know, Moses is saying, God, unless you're face, unless we've got your face, not just like some, not just the commandments, not, not just like all the theology, but unless we've got your face, God, we, we can't move from here. This is, this is the point. <laughs> Picture this kind of more playfully again if you're, blessed to be parents. A bunch of siblings are just going crazy. Feels like they're possessed or something at some particular time, right? Something, something, you, just put it like this, you as a parent are not winning in this particular moment, right? And the parent has had enough, can't really be bothered anymore with what's going on. Says something along the lines of, go and do your own thing because I know you wanted me to come and play with you, but you know, you're just doing my head in. They're exasperated. Do that kind of thing. Just, I'm, not, I'm not saying God used that language, right? But just earthly kind of analogy, right? Just to try and get to something here. Because, I, But I, I can't play. I can't do this anymore with you. You just get on with it. And then one of the siblings comes up while the others are still going bonkers and says, mom, but mom and dad, no, no, that's the point. We wanted to do this with you. We don't want to play without you. And they speak on behalf of the other children, even though the other children, you still want to like throttle them. Yeah? Think about what that would do to your heart as a parent. Because what 
you've started to realize is you're hearing the echo of your own heart in the heart of that sibling, that child, on behalf of the other children. And this is what I think Moses does to God's heart in this moment. God is hearing an echo of his own heart in his son. And he is moved. He can't not go. He can't not answer him. Because Moses is basically saying, God, this is the point. This is the whole point. The point of the story is you. The point of the story is a knowledge of you and your presence in us. What else, he says, will make us distinct if it's not your presence? If it's not your presence, if we go into the land of promise, all we are is a bunch of slaves with a good idea of an inheritance. And I guess as we think about who we're becoming as a church family, what's the point if it's not his presence? What is the point? Now, I'm sure we could think of a few good things that might like, be worthwhile. Maybe there's a bit of camaraderie, a bit of community. All those things are fine and good and helpful. But it's no different than what the world's trying to do in all its different forms. Sure, it's not. What, what is the point if it's not your presence? This is why, so this is a bit of a bugbear of mine, but this is why I detest the word good living. The description of good living for Christians. Like, like, that's not going to change the world. Like, what even is it? Was it, he's turned good living. What, what does, do you know what I mean? Like you've stopped smoking, or maybe, and stopped drinking and maybe stopped saying as many bad words. Like, big deal. Like, bully for you. Sort of, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like that's not going to change the world. We're, that's not who we've been called to be. Is that, is that the point? <laughs> is this the point? A few good living people. That, like, you know, just try to be morally upstanding and all of that kind of a thing. That's not who we're called to be. By God's grace, we're called to be so much more than that. It's all grace. And by God's grace, we become temples of God himself, filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit, to burn with the very nature and character of God himself in our lives. And to carry that into the world around us, to literally be many Jesuses in this world, filled with the power of God. This is who we're called to be. This is what Jesus died for. It would be a shame, therefore, to settle for any mediocre form of Christianity. Good living, good living, Christian. It's so beige. It's so lukewarm. It's so not hot, not really cold. It's, you know, it's that kind of thing. Can't really find the words for it, but hopefully you know. And Moses is saying, God, what's the point if it's not you and only you and holy you and fully you This is what makes us distinct. And this is what God's response is to such a kind of prayer. It's on the screen. One sentence. I will do the very thing you've asked. Because I'm pleased with you. And I know you've been here. God has moved. I'm pleased with you, Moses. I can't not. (laughs) I can't not respond to your request. Because you are praying back to me. My own heart. God is moved by Moses. Because this is what God has always wanted. This is the point of the story. Even though his people have literally committed adultery with him. God will not give up on them. Martin Luther said this about prayer. And Moses teaches us this. It's on the screens. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. But laying hold of God's willingness. 
Some of you pray sometimes to God and think that you're trying to like twist his arm up his back a wee bit to see if he'll do something. <laughs> what comes into your head when you think about God is the most important thing about you. If that's what we think about God, then God wants to do some work in our hearts because he wants to show us how much he burns with love and desire for his people to know him and to make him known. And so when we pray, Moses shows us that we're laying hold of part of God's heart that longs for this. And we pull it down to earth so it can become a reality. And then because Moses knows this about God and he knows enough about God, <laughs> it's like, it's only, the only way I can describe this skin is a bit like a child who knows that they've just won and captivated the heart of their parent. And so they ask for a little bit more. And Moses says this then. Then Moses said, now please, show me your glory. Show me the very essence of who you are. Dad, I, I, want, I want you, Dad. I want you, Mom. I, want, I don't want what you can give me. Moses has already seen the seas open, the manna provided. God come down on a mountain doing miraculous things. He's seen it all. If we had seen the things that Moses had saw, we'd be probably happy. You know, preachers these days would be making a living out of going around telling those stories for the rest of their lives. And yet Moses at this point goes, no, no, no. God, now show me your glory. I, I want to know your heart. I want to know. You remember a few weeks ago we talked about the yada, the Hebrew word for knowledge, to know God, to know God deeply. I think it's on the screen, that word yada again, Stephen. Moses, to, to know God deeply, not just a head knowledge, but to know him deeply. Moses just doesn't want God's hands, what God can do for him. He wants the face of God. He wants to know him. He doesn't want to use God. He wants to be with God. And um, this is what this whole passage teaches us. And, and then and God, God decides that he, he will show him his glory. He can't show him it in his full fullness of that because Moses will not survive. But then he says this to God, uh, or sorry, God says this to Moses. I think it's on the next screen. He said, present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. And then it says in verse 5, Exodus 34, it says this, Exodus 34, you can just listen, hopefully it'll come up in a moment. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation. And Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. Present yourself to me at the top of the mountain. And so as Moses presents himself, God passes by and reveals more of who he is. We know God is a God of love and compassion, slow to anger and abounding in love. We sing that song. It's important for us to realize that it came from this moment when a man decided to press in to know and to see the glory of God, whatever that meant for his life. And what we realize is God comes where he's wanted. When we ask and when we draw near, he draws near to us. And we experience in these moments the immediacy of his presence, the revelation of his character. It's important to note that when we, we sh God's glory should always lead to a revelation of his character, his nature. 
the, the signs, the, the glory cloud that came, all of these things, they, they point to something else. We're not, those things are great, but we're not to become over enamored with those things because what they're leading us to is a revelation, a knowledge. This is what it's all about, a knowledge of God, a deep yada type knowledge of God. And I think this is where God wants to, to, to lead us basically as a, as a people, that we start to learn to hunger after and to experience the manifest sense of God's presence. Um, final quote, I think, here this morning. I've quoted this before as well. I go to A.W. Tozer for this, and he says um, this on the next slide. This, this distinguishment between the presence of God in terms of the omnipresence of God. So there's a sense in which God's presence is everywhere. Wherever you go, you can experience God. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Omni kind of meaning all. Presence is a big kind of theological term they use to talk about God is everywhere. But there's a distinction between that and God's manifest presence. And this is what Tozer says. The presence, the omnipresence, and the manifestation of the presence are not the same. There can be one without the other. God is here when we are wholly unaware of it. He is manifest only when and as we are aware of his presence. On our part, there must be surrender to the Spirit of God, for his work is to show us the Father and the Son. If we cooperate with him in loving obedience, God will manifest himself to us. And that manifestation will be the difference between a nominal Christian life, a sort of good living Christian life, and one that's radiant with the light of his face. God's manifest presence is when we fully surrender to him and we become aware in a yada type way of the knowledge of God in our midst. I picture it like this. When we come to worship, God's already waiting for us, wearing us with the light of his face. We're often far too distracted to lock eyes, and so we miss the manifest presence, even though his presence is here. And God wants us to lock eyes with him in worship. And when we do, we start to encounter and experience more of his manifest presence amongst us. And I think this is who we're called to be. And so I'm, I'm going to finish in a couple of moments. I just want to say these few things as maybe lead into a bit of a response. We're growing up as a church. God is calling us to steward more. Scale changes things. So our structures and our systems and our teams and all of that need to grow. That is right and proper. But we don't have to be amazing. We have to be hungry. We don't have to be perfect. We just need to be desperate for his presence. Hunger, longing for the Lord to move amongst us. Here's what we're going for. A vision for ongoing, it's in our 2030 vision, ongoing night and day prayer and worship. 24-7, 365 days a year. That's what we want to see here. It might give you Christmas Day off, right? But people just wanting to come and pray and be with Jesus. I'm going to talk more about this next week, what that might look like. But that's long-term what we want to see. A place characterized by the manifest sense of the presence of God. 
I would love people to be thinking, oh, I'll go for a wee walk from Portadown down in the Main Street there, down in the Tesco's, and as they walk down that alleyway, they come into an encounter of the presence of God before they meet anyone even. And this has happened before in history. In the Hebrides, during the revival, in the 1940s, 50s, people just went there and were changed forever just by being on the island. In the revival in Northern Ireland, they say, 1859, they say that some of the boats passed by the north of Ireland on the ships came under the conviction of the Holy Spirit so strongly that they had to send chaplains onto the boats to lead people to Jesus. In New York, during the revival there, there was a particular place down at docks where people went, and when they went there, they just came under an overwhelming sense of the presence of God. We were chatting about this the last week or two. Chris said there's been one or two times where he's been walking through Sports Direct in Lurgan over the years, which is nearly right beside our building, and just felt the presence of the Holy Spirit come upon him. These are all, those things that got our first fruits, little tastes, little pictures, little windows into what I think God wants us to see. Why, why would we do this? First of all, because it's what we're born to do, be in constant communion with the Lord forever. But secondly, and I just want to say this as a close, the R, the R is critical. I'm a church leader, and the last thing I want to be part of, <laughs> which is more indicative of the church across the West and world, we're literally, in many ways, the established church managing decline. I, I don't want to be part of that in my generation. I, I, want, and I want to be part of the opposite of that, a move of the Spirit of God. And the good thing about it is that at times of crisis and decline, is usually the times when God is looking for men and women to be raised up. And so as I finish, John, John Tyson uses the analogy of it's a bit of an Americanism, but he, he talks about the clock. The clock determines the play in sport. In other words, the tactics that you use at the start of a match are different. We just all watched the Rugby World Cup. Well, some of us have. And... Um, we just saw in some of those really intense games at the end, didn't they? It's almost like all tactics went out the window. Just throw everything at it because the clock determines the play. It's 75 minutes in a rugby match. We're behind. We've got five minutes to go to win this match. And so everything changes in that moment. We're, we're living, just look at the news. Look at Ukraine. Look at the Middle East. Look at cost of living crisis. Look at the decline of the church in the West. Look at the raging sectoralism that we are living in in this particular moment that's doing everything it can to push God out of the conversation in the public square. The clock determines the play. This is time to seek the Lord. This is time to put our lives before him on the altar once again and say, God, you can have it all. We want to burn. We want to burn with you. And so I, I just felt like what I was going to do... <laughs> I hesitate to say this. As, as you know, I announced a few weeks ago that um, we're going to take a bit of a sabbatical in December and January and uh, part of February. And I think part of that is because I think the Lord wants to speak to me about reordering my life a little bit so that when I come back, 
this is, this is what I want to give my life to, building a community here with our leadership team and with all of you to be a people that host the presence of God, steward his presence. And I think I'm supposed to feel led by the Spirit to throw out this seed because I think that while I know God's speaking to my heart about this, I think he's speaking to some of you as well. And I think even now as I'm talking about it, you can already begin to feel your heart burning a little bit to say, God, I think this is why I am on this earth at this particular season of my life. And that God, you are awakening me to want to seek you. And as Jill, our friend Jill Weber once told us a few years ago, if you want to be a house of prayer, you have to become one. And that starts in our own hearts and in our own lives. And maybe this morning for some of us, the Lord is saying, like he did to Moses when he said, God, show me your glory. Okay, present yourself to me. Present yourself to me. Just say yes to me again, and I'll come. I'll come and reveal the knowledge of you. And some of you, say this with all the gentleness, some of you have um, disqualified yourself for far too long. <laughs> and you just need to get that out of your head. And use the time that you have left <laughs> for God and for his glory. And push all those other feelings of shame and inadequacy, which aren't true. They're from the liar of the devil, out of, out of your head, in order we can be that. When God can't find a people crying out to himself, God calls out a man or woman who he will raise up. That's what he's done all throughout history. And that's what I think he's doing again amongst us. But he wants to burn in us this morning. In order to see this happen, there is both a fire and there is a form. Next week, I'm going to talk a little bit more about the form. But today, I believe that the Lord just wants to ignite a fresh sense of fire in our hearts. Um, and so, um, would you do me a favor? Would you stand on your feet with me? Would you just, um, if you're comfortable with this in whatever way you want to engage in this with me, would you just welcome the Holy Spirit? Just welcome the Holy Spirit here. You know, we know he is here, but just welcome him really personally, just in their own lives, but just to work amongst us in these moments. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Just really strongly sense, I'm going to pray for everyone before we leave. Close off, but I just really feel like there are some people that just really need to almost this morning. It feels like you can hear those words that God said to Moses present yourself to me. You've 
you know God has been leading you in this way. And I just would love you to come up the front, to stand along the front here, because I just love to pray for you. If that's you, that you know that you are being positioned in this moment to help establish a house of prayer in the presence of God in this in this place. And I just get a real sense that you know that people are maybe being called to respond. So if that's if that's you, I know it's a brave thing to do, but I, I think you, you, you know, um, even now you can feel your heart just going a humdinger sort of thing. Um, just come and come and stand at the front, would you? Because I just love to pray for you. Come, Holy Spirit. We welcome you. Jesus, Jesus, we love you, God. We love you, God. Mm. This is an important morning for us, folks. Just want to say that. significant moment as God sees the hearts and lives of people saying yes to him I'm going to ask our prayer ministry team if you would just come gently if you're not already at the front if you're at the front because you're responding don't worry about prayer ministry this morning if you're not on prayer ministry, I'm going to ask you just to come and just lay a hand on these um, folks that are at the front. And then I'm, I'm going to ask uh, Johnny if you wouldn't mind just putting some just some light music, worship music on. And I'm going to pray for us all at this particular moment. Um, and just dismiss uh, you quietly for uh, tea and coffee and to go and lift kids. But we're going to just lean in here to what the Lord's doing because he's, uh, he's speaking and he's moving in people's hearts and lives. And so in, the, in these moments, Lord, we, we, we welcome your presence here, God, even more. We welcome your love, God, your power, God. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you that while we've looked at Moses this morning, we're reminded of a man who met you at a burning bush where in that bush you reminded him that you would burn your love within him in a way that would consume him yet not destroy him. And God, I pray that right now you would burn in all of our hearts and, and particularly in those, oh God, who are sensing that you're asking something of them today again to give themselves to this cause. I want to ask that by the power of your spirit, God, now you would fan into flame that fire as they lay themselves afresh on the altar. Continue to move across and amongst and upon all of us this morning, oh God, with the amount of different needs that are here in this place this morning. We ask that your presence, oh God, would comfort, heal, restore, encourage, and equip. And that the seeds of your word, God, would find good soil in our hearts be in our fellowship too, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.